welcome to the virtual book by Ed Piscor. I want to start off by thanking our virtual hosts, Floating World Comics in Portland, Oregon. They're a super cool shop. Uh, we highly encourage you to check them out if you're in the area, or if not, you can visit their web store. If you order a copy of Red Room, the antisocial network from them, you can get a book plate signed by Ed while supplies last. I'll drop the link in the comments, so keep an eye out for that. Um, before we begin, please note, while you can see and hear Ed and Jim, they cannot see or hear you. So if you have questions for the authors, please leave them in the comments and they'll get to as many as they can during the Q&A portion at the end of the talk. Uh, so for the main event, uh, Ed Piscor has been cartooning professionally in print form since 2005, starting off drawing the American Splendor comics written by Harvey Picar. Since then, he created the best-selling series Hip Hop Family Tree and X-Men Grand Design. He's here today to discuss the first collection of his newest series, Red Room, The Antisocial Network. In this best-selling comic, aided by the anonymous dark web and nearly untraceable cryptocurrency, a criminal subculture has emerged. It livestreams murders as entertainment. Who are the killers? Who are the victims? Who is paying to watch? And how to stop it? Red Room is constructed as a series of interconnected stories, shining a light on the characters who exist in the ugliest corners in cyberspace. CBR called it a gory, blood-spattered tour de force, and Fangoria noted, it is as brutal as you would expect, but lined with humor, satire, and masterful illustrations. Joining Ed today is Jim Rugg, comic book artist, bookmaker, illustrator, and designer, whose books include Street Angel, The Plain Janes, Aphrodisiac, Notebook Drawings, Rambo 3.5, and Super Mag. He's also designed some wildly cool variant covers for the Red Room individual issues, including homages to Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one and R. Crumb Zap Zero. Along with Ed, he's the other half of the hugely popular Cartoonist Kayfabe YouTube channel, where they discuss comics and graphic novels and interview artists. So let's give them a virtual round of applause and I'll turn it over to Ed and Jim. Thanks so much, Lauren. Super cool to meet you. And uh, I apologize profusely that you have to uh, have anything to do with this ridiculous comic of mine. And that's a great place to start. You know, the purpose of this is to uh, hopefully to, to introduce some new people to Red Room. And uh, I look at this book and I think, who needs this book is any horror fan, right? Especially with Christmas right around the corner. It's kind of perfect timing for the, uh, the cool comic, the cool graphic novel to slip to somebody who's interested in comics but loves horror. And uh, I thought we might start there with uh, some of the characters and influences behind Red Room. Because when you started telling me about this comic, as Lauren says, you know, it's murder on the dark web. The thing that pops, though, the characters right away are the first thing I think about. When did you figure out, like, these characters have to be costumed, right? They've got to be anonymous. It's kind of like superheroes. It's kind of like slasher movie uh, heroes, if you will. Tell us about the characters and how you started building these characters. And uh, have any surprised you? Any favorites in your character collection? Jim, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, man. See you in a day or two. We'll do some <laughs> more. We'll do lunch. Uh, the characters in Red Room... Uh, the the idea of creating these costumes and stuff was sort of came first right because we grew up with superhero comics right and it's fun designing that kind of thing but we always talk about on the on the channel man rc cola superheroes right like like try as you may you're not going to create a superhero to rival superman or batman or captain america or something like that but it's still fun to design that stuff and it started with that idea. Uh, if you're going to be doing very, very nefarious things and filming yourself uh, online, you don't even want one piece of skin showing. Like, you don't want to even give that much of a clue to the federales, man, uh, to 
try to zero in on who you are. So, dude, that was like one of the most fun parts of it. Working on that X-Men Grand Design project uh, for Marvel and just knowing our creative elders going through that system, creating characters that don't get to be theirs anymore. Uh, why not create some of our own, you know? And a big part of choosing to do Red Room, because, you know, we have like an order to an order of operations, man. I was very impressed by your Kickstarter and how the um, cartoonist kayfabe audience kind of showed up in a, in a giant way. And uh, on my on my board that's right directly behind the camera, you know which one I'm talking about, giant bulletin board, the biggest one that money can buy. Like I have a bunch of ideas on there and a bunch of comic book ideas. And I decided like, let me try the one that I think will be the least commercial because you know that there will be uh, a built-in segment of people who will never touch this. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, I, I don't know about any other comics that I was working on where you just knew that there will be a chunk of people that aren't going to support this kind of thing. So let me try that odd idea, you know. The, the, the sort of five-year plan was do these hip-hop comics, do X-Men Grand Design, Make make these things profitable books that can support a weird one. And it just so happens that this weird one is something that a lot of people are showing up for. And you know what, Jimmy? Uh, I'm might I say, because this is kind of like breaking news in in, in a way. Uh, there was a kind of ransomware attack at uh, at Diamond Distributors uh, this past couple over the past couple of days. Do, do we know if Mistress Pentagram was involved? <laughs> you know what? That's the text that I've been coming in, man. Like, I think a Red Rumor did it. Like, all this kind of stuff, right? And final order cutoff for Red Room trigger warnings, issue number one, uh, was going to be yesterday. You know, like I was talking with, with Eric. Hey, man, what's, where are the, what are the numbers? What are the numbers? Uh, we're extending final order cutoff. So, Jim, you have that, uh, that zap that zap zero cover man you know you know how it works man say a word so that you yeah you i know should... i gotta i gotta speak up to get the uh the my, my cover up there in front of everybody but my homage to uh robert crumb and ed thank you for letting me do these variants they've turned out to be uh very enjoyable thought i was going to do one they've kind of taken off with these like parody and, and homage covers and uh i always say you know this is the way you get to stare at like robert crumb or dan Klaus or, or kevin eastman and peter laird whoever it happens to be, but you get to really kind of deep dive into their, into their artwork. And um, they've been surprises along the way for me, being able to spend a few days with these things and really look at their line work and how they make their work. So here's my variant for trigger warnings, uh, number one. And I guess, you, you know, everybody watching at home, you've got one extra week now to, uh, to reserve one of these at your local comic shop. And, and you know how that sort of thing goes, whenever there's a kind of a time limit on something uh, in that time limit, you know, it, it, is finished uh then you start getting all the dms and you start getting all the all the uh emails and stuff how do i get jim rugg's cover how can i do it what do i do like i i missed the i missed the boat i missed the window so i'm here saying that you guys have another week to go to your local comic shop put in the good word tell them that you want red room trigger warnings number one tell them which variant cover you want you know i did a variant jimmy did that superfly zap zero variant and uh peach momoko the cottage industry of comic book covers 2020 2020 2020 2021 she's got a fly ass cover and uh you got another week 
to get that in, man. Um, and speaking of, you know, floating world fantagraphics, uh, I got a link in the description below this video where people can grab uh, the Red Room book from Floating World, and it's going to come with a signed book plate. I've been signing a whole bunch of them for uh, for the shop and going to send these things over. So you order the comic directly from uh, Floating World. You're going to get uh, a signed assigned book plate which kind of addresses another kind of set of dms and emails where people are like can i send you a self-addressed stamped envelope send you a comic you sign it send it back dude i'm working on a monthly comic and i just don't have time to be hitting the po all the time man so uh jason is jason at floating world is really helping us out by uh f by filling that need yeah, always good to support the uh, the local comic shops or a good comic shop in the case of Floating World that may not be local to everybody watching this stream. But uh, definitely, you know, buy these books from your comic shops if possible. Keep these comic shops open for me. I need them. I, I would miss them very much if they weren't there. And this is a great way to support them. And again, a signed book plate, uh, perfect for a gift, kind of makes that book a little something special. Um, Ed, you mentioned a monthly book. Whenever you started working on this thing, you know, I, I, I've been getting... Uh, front row seats to it, you know, getting to hear, hear it come together. And uh, one of the coolest features in the book for me is seeing the backup material, the extra stuff, um, including your first draft, you know, the behind the scenes, kind of your writing and process. And uh, I did want to just mention that because so many people do ask questions about process. And one of the nice pieces of this book is not just the comics themselves, but the book that you put together. Um, what's that process like, you know, putting together a book like this, you finish your monthly, you know, four issues monthly. Now it's time to sit down and figure out like, how does this work as a book? Um, I know you spent some time with that and I think you made a beautiful book. Any surprises along the way of putting this together? It took a lot more time than I thought it would, uh, because you want to create a different kind of experience than just those single issues. Uh, you're addressing two potentially different audiences with some overlap here and there. And you can't just take another bite of the apple, uh, you know, gang up all these books, slap a cover on it, and think that that's going to do the trick. Uh, I'm a, I'm your little brother, man, and I uh, I learned it by watching you, you know, like as that uh, famous PSA uh, says, you know. And I see the toil that you guys have gone through putting your books together, and it's put so many other considerations in my own mind when it comes to packaging books and knowing that the lifespan of the actual book collections is really what's going to stand the test of time more than uh the pamphlets like the the actual comic books they're periodicals man like they might live in the back issues for a minute but they're on the shelves until the next one comes out pretty much and the way people have been showing up uh certainly thanks to the audience we've built with the youtube channel and everything these these comics are flying you know, they're disappearing and you just you don't keep those in print. You know, that's not the common wisdom any any longer. If this was like Fantagraphics of yore, you know, the direct market of yore when I got like a, you know, seventh printing of Love and Rockets number one or something just ain't that it's not the model any any longer, you know. So if I have to live with this thing being on the shelves, you know, from from now until until, you know, the people we trust with the comics medium completely destroy the business of comics. Got to make a book that's fly, you know. I love that book cover. Um, I saw one of some retailer had laid out a stack of these and was shooting video of them. 
and uh, it, they look wet almost, <laughs> the, the cover. I don't know if that's a varnish or what, but man, what a cool design. Oh, I know. And that red, like when that camera's going by, like you can even see it like that, like look at that glistening pool of blood essentially with that <laughs> light, right? Yeah, super fun, man. It's so glossy when you turn it like that. It's just like this white line that goes across across the covers and hits the lights. Once you start getting into the minutia of book production, uh, you can really get deep in the weeds, man. I remember like one of my favorite decisions I had to make was when we were doing the uh, the first box set for for Hip Hop Family Tree, and I did that extra comic with the uh, with the Rob Liefeld little ash can thing. And you know you need gold foil if you're going to do a '90s comic, and you need some deboss and emboss. And when Fantagraphics came to me and they were like, Ed, you have to choose between six different golds, man. That, that's that's why you know you're in the big time. You know what Amazing. I'm I feel like the, uh, the image guys of the early 90s, they had it simpler, Ed. I feel like it was gold or silver. That's all they had to pick. Or rub the blood. Yes. You know what, man? The I think that red, like the, you know how there's like that kind of like rougher texture on the words? I feel like that might be rub the blood uh, texture. I was going to say, man, thermal ink maybe for uh, book two. Yeah. I See, now that's in my head. I have to go, uh, when we're done with this conversation, I have to go dig in the box and go look for my blood strike issue. Go do some research <laughs> on, on real book design. Blood strike number one. Dude, how fun was it talking to Mike Mignola, man? One of the highlights so far, the cartoons kayfabe. But Ed, you talk about digging into books, man. So I was going to ask research, right? You've done you've done extensive research on past books, on hackers, hip hop, even X-Men Grand Design, maybe the most research on X-Men Grand Design. What kind of stuff are you researching for Red Room? What are you looking at, reading, uh, watching? What's been cool? What's kind of uh, surprised you or, or been exciting to find? And what are you spending your time with? We've, we've been dusting off that old word, uh, splatterpunk. And that was one of the things that was uh, in the back in the back of my mind, man. And and got to thank the audience for hipping me to some writers that weren't on the tip of the tongue, like like Jack Ketchum, like Richard Lehman. Uh, these are guys who really, in those 1980s, man, they really built uh, careers for themselves in that cheap uh, paperback novel format, you know. And these are. These are blue collar novels, you know, I like this is the kind of stuff that that I always have been chasing. And it's the kind of comics that I wanted to make. Like, yeah, it's cute that uh, comics have uh, been accepted in academic spaces. But by and large, most of the comics that you and I look at on our YouTube channel and stuff, just blue collar workaday people making these things, man. So it's nice that the that the um, academics are involved. But. I wanted to make something that was like, you know, take, taking comics back to, to, back to the roots, man, and just indulge in vulgarity a little bit. Uh, you're of the same dem demographic practically, Jimmy. So I know you came up in the mom and pop VHS rental store kind of uh, lifestyle. That's where I come from as well, man. So 8th Avenue and Homestead, I remember getting our first uh, membership card to uh, to a movie store. And that's that's a huge influence on this this comic. You know, I'm not I'm not chasing Eisner Awards with this thing. I'm chasing just cult classic status, man. Toxic Avenger. 
type shit. I remember know? spending a lot of hours in the uh, in the uh, video stores just going over that box art, like, and of course the horror movies, the best section in the video stores for for cool cover art. We're visual creatures, dude. Like, as as cartoonists, as artists, like you're you're taking in a lot of visual data, and the the lewdness and vulgarity of VHS you know, horror sections in, in, in the mom and pop shops. And I say that very specifically because uh, I stepped foot in a blockbuster one or two times. We actually didn't really have the, them uh, around here that much. But uh, when you get those corporate joints, uh, you know, the Hollywood video or whatever, they sanitize that shit, man. And I'm talking about like, you know, West Coast video. The joint that I worked at was, was called Hollywood video, but it wasn't the big corporate joint. And they would... um have have to make these decisions like should we order el topo for four hundred dollars like could could we get enough people to rent this thing f to justify the four hundred dollar cost of el topo because it wasn't like a mass-produced thing you know and and that was the way shit worked back then and uh and they would make those decisions you know like they wouldn't get uh the garbage pail kids flick for me, but I, I don't hold it against them. I saw it eventually. <laughs> Man, all those video stores popped up whenever I was growing up and it'd be like, you'd have to buy your memberships and there'd be monthlies or yearly or lifetime. I don't know how many lifetime memberships I had. I can tell you none of those video stores, of course, are open anymore. Uh, probably none of them lasted 10 years from the time I got a membership, but I did see garbage pail kids from one of them. So kind of works out. <laughs> There's all this like, culture that's lost from that like i remember that's like where you would rent you would rent your um you would rent a nintendo before you would buy it you know like if you were in in, in my neighborhood if you were anybody i knew you rented that thing before you you bought the thing and honestly uh that is a little bit of an influence on the on the comic as well because what are video games from that era certainly if not, uh, you know, mindless violence for, for the most part. Man, mindless violence brings back uh, Scott McCloud memories for me. Yeah. Senseless violence. <laughs> Mortal Kombat fatalities, man. Like, that's that's what I'm drawing in this fucking comic. <clears throat> yeah, it's an interesting one. I, I, I don't play a lot of video games, but of course I've played some in Mortal Kombat. Of course, everybody I think is familiar with. Uh, it's interesting. I don't think about video games the way I do comics, but of course there was uproars about violence in video games. Um, you know, probably a lot more in our lifetime than anything in comics. You know what I just uh, I just scooped up. I just got it today. In fact, man, because you know you got to reward yourself for good behavior. I have a book uh, that just hit the hit the stands. Uh, got to reward myself for good behavior, and I uh, ordered this thing. It's called the Mega EverDrive Pro, and you load up an SD card to put it into a gen a blank Genesis cartridge, right? put an SD card in there and it could play every Sega Master System game, every Genesis Sega game and uh in Sega CD. And I never had a Sega CD. And when I was a little kid, uh when all that uproar from the government really started happening with um with video games, it was Mortal Kombat and there was a Sega CD game called Night Trap with uh it was this flick that was shot in the mid eighties where Dana Plato is, is playing like the main character. And it's like these sorority chicks are in this mansion and you're working a control panel and you have cameras in every single room. And there are these like invaders and you have to set up traps 
to uh to to like kill the invaders and it's all full motion video and there were scenes that that really uh you know made joe lieberman uh feel some type of way man uh so like you know that stuff is in that stuff is an inspiration for for uh for this comic and you know after i get off this stream i'm gonna play night trap for the first time in my life man that's pretty exciting i feel like i gotta get these questions rolling faster and faster <laughs> get you off the hot seat and in front of your game system um <clears throat> one piece i gotta ask you about and that's the do the look of, of red room it's totally i mean in this day and age i feel like it's totally unique you may you know your comics are very distinct looking, but each one looks different than the previous one. Uh, Red Room, very different than X-Men Grand Design. Can you talk about the origins of that? Like, you know, we know where that's coming from. Can you talk about some of, you know, the Outlaw Comics legacy, the black and white stuff? Like, uh, how's that come together? What, how'd you even choose to do black and white? Yeah, man. Uh, it's it's that old, it's that old uh, Wayne Gretzky adage, man. Like, don't go where the puck has been, go where it's going. And uh, I'm sitting here, you know, in, in, in my little drawing chair, in my little studio, and I'm seeing what everybody's doing out there. And I see my creative brethren chasing that, that young adult book advance money and doing like kind of sanitized comics to try to, you know, appeal to, you know, whoever that is, man. Because they say young adult, but they're really talking like young, young girl or something, because like. I was a young adult once and I wouldn't be reading any of that shit, but I would be reading this. So like I consider this like my young adult comic in a way, man, because this is the kind of shit that I was checking out when I was a little dude looking at Faust comics, looking at the crow, marveling at that weird use of parallel lines, man, to achieve these grays. And how do these maniacs do that? Do they sit the T-square on the page and mark off every other millimeter to like make a straight line to achieve those grays and then you know discovering that it's actually a chemical process and a special kind of paper called called duotone getting a hold and some access to that material used it a little bit in the Kubert school love the aesthetic nobody's doing it uh everybody's over here chasing one thing so i'll just feel a little bit of a void over here by once again indulging in vulgarity and th and that comes with the art style man like that that mechanical gray and that kind of scratchy black and white it ain't supposed to be that pleasing to the eyes man you know like you're 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 chasing a very particular kind of kink if you're going towards those kinds of comics and it was fun seeing uh that people are showing up for it, dude. You know, I got to thank you in such a big way, man, for goosing the numbers with uh, with your super cool variant covers and stuff, dude. Because uh, the fact that there are like, dude, there's like over um, like a quarter million freaking Red Room comics out there. Like I would have been happy with a fraction of that. It's been interesting to see people respond to that that look, that black and white look. Because when we were kids... The story was, uh, you can't sell a black and white comic. Right. And now it's like, of course you can. You know, like I think manga completely changed that. Even Frank Miller, whenever we were coming up and started doing Sin City, it seemed like that opened that door to black and white. But now I don't think there's a stigma against it. And yet there's still this hidden history of like black and white comics from the 80s. 
And I feel like Red Room taps into that in a way that it celebrates that legacy. Yeah, for sure. You know, it, I, I'm not going to lie, man. It's fun even uh, putting Fantagraphics in a position like to compete when you see those top hundreds, man, and to see Red Room up there. Like Uncle Gary, man, really pushing for comics as art and stuff like this. <laughs> and I mean, we are the 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 hash that we're slanging, you know, like the the door to door vacuum salesman shtick that we're performing here today is for a book with like a disemboweled dude on the cover, you know. Whenever I was so, like telling telling Gary about this idea, man, we're in line for the uh, the elevator back up to our our respective hotel rooms at SPX one year. And he's like, Ed, what are these like weird images like on, on your Facebook? It's some of your best drawing. And I described what the comic was. And he's like, what's the point? <laughs> and I'm like, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The point doesn't matter, man. You know, like you, Fantagraphics are publishing tongue-in-cheek horror stories with the, the, the EC collections that they're doing, you know? Let's do some modern day versions of that. You know, that's sort of the the ultimate pitch that that I sort of dropped on them whenever I was describing what the comic is. Modern day horrors, man. Let's let me think about some things that I haven't seen explored really in pop culture that much that uh, that exist right now. And that dark web sounds pretty scary. Yeah, it's great to hear you link the EC comics to that. Um, can you talk about your first encounter with EC Comics? Like, did they make much of an impression on you when you got hold of some of those? Oh, you know it, man. You know the story. Like, whenever uh, whenever Tales from the Crypt, the HBO TV show, was first on, first off, that was super influential. I knew about that before I knew about the fact that it was a comic book. And to see those very lurid covers on every episode, you know, uh, who I forget who um, Mike Vosberg I think drew a lot of those things, and I was attracted to that kind of imagery. You know, I was reading comics like crazy, so they start to. I think Russ Cochran was able to get straight up newsstand distribution in the early '90s. Man, for for those 64 pagers where they would uh, reprint two issues of stuff, they would they would give you a really lurid crazy cover for one of the horrors you know they would reprint a horror up front and then at the uh at the centerfold it would begin another issue of like weird science or crime suspense stories or something but man when i got a hold of those comics dude it blew my freaking mind because first off it it actually made me think i wasn't going to be able to get to draw comics because the art in that was so much more advanced than what the house style was at you know Marvel or DC circa 1989-1990 so and I recognized that it was very advanced artwork I remember trying to like copy some Wally Wood you know there was a strip called the Exile or something um and it was just simple like bald-headed uh space traveler dudes and it's just like this is a perfect like I one line out of place you screw up the whole thing and I'm like, man, I don't even think I'm going to be able to get to draw comics when I grow up. This is like way too hard. But yeah, dude, those those EC comics, you know, particularly that one Haunt of Fear issue that ended with uh, it was a story of some domestic violence, some some wife beater 
husband guy drunk asshole you know beats this lady up for six pages and then when you describe this stuff it's like was frederick wortham right you know like little kids in 1954 reading this shit uh so then like the last page you know he he has a bender or something and and is drunk and goes to sleep and when he wakes up you know he can't move his arms and he's on some kind of like stretch rack and his wife is is like cranking the the rack and just pulling his arms and legs off his body and uh i legitimately went to the magazine rack almost every time mom went to the grocery grocery store because i needed to see the next issue because i wanted to see how that story would resolve itself because i didn't realize like marvel comics and dc comics don't end that way you know they end with a cliffhanger you know they end with somebody in a perilous situation but then when you get the next issue they get out of that jam and get put into another jam that's the bait and switch of the corporate comics and then when i got that next issue dude and, and there wasn't even one mention of that couple that effed my head up for 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 years i mean I, i'm still talking about him 39 years old i probably saw it when i was eight were those some of the first like horror comics that you came across yeah definitely definitely man because like like what else would have even been in, on a shop and save rack man like even shit like moon knight or something was a direct market book and and it wasn't ghost rider yet man it's funny to think of like moon knight as like some quasi horror comic or ghost rider being like that would be your horror comic if all you had were newsstands in the early 90s yeah think about it like like what would what would the horror stuff be like i i can't even think of one thing really yeah i'm with you they they, they kind of go out of uh you know, uh, at least off the newsstand, they kind of go away. Right. And it was just superheroes whenever early 90s, late 80s newsstand. Seems like that's all it was, Batman and Marvel. Um, Marvel question for you. Chuck asks, are you finished with the Grand Design series for Marvel? Are there any more stories you'd like to revisit? Mm, yeah, I, I think I'm good. You know, like the the strategy with even, even doing uh, anything with Marvel for me was just because recognizing that the the hip hop books were um extremely successful in stores outside of comic shops uh knowing that I wanted to make some comic books I wanted to make comics like Red Room uh the grand design comics were like that's like my handshake to the to the direct market just so that the comic shop retailers could have a little confidence in me uh when they see the name you know what I'm saying man I uh, you know, try something that's that's evergreen, at least to me, like classic X-Men, that, that shit is evergreen. And, it, and you know, who, who whoever thought we would live in a world where Avengers is better known than X-Men? Like when we were kids in the 90s, that would have been crazy. Like nobody was reading uh, Avengers comics. And whenever uh, Axel Alonso called my bluff and was like, what kind of X-Men comic you want to do? I didn't have anything in mind. So let me... What, let me spend what I thought was going to be one year uh, doing some fan art. You know what I'm saying, man? Let me let me draw a couple pages of the classic X-Men with the, with the blue and yellow. Let me draw a cool Magneto. Let me draw the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, man. I'll try some Sabretooth. You know, it was like that's that's what it was. And uh, we put it out there. That That turned out to be super successful, man. I think you know like thanks thanks to that book 
accumulated so many more followers on like Instagram. My, my, like that bumps up your social media presence a whole lot, man. When you when you have like a popular kind of direct market kind of comic, and then uh, the tried and true business model that I've always seen in the past twenty years is do a little something something Marvel DC, and then go do your own thing, man, and sell to you know a percentage of that audience that you introduced yourself yourself to um so that was the plan you know i did it i accomplished it working in the strictures of corporate comics it's not really for a cartoonist to do like you got people who write but can't draw you got people who draw but don't want to write like let them have it keep the keebler elf system the assembly line were you thinking Red Room while you were working on X-Men? Was that idea like uh, developing while, you know, you're working on this other book? For sure, dude. I was uh, I was um, selling publishers on, on the idea when I was working on my last Hip Hop Family Tree. You know, I was going to go, I was going to finish volume four and just get busy with with Red Room um, sort, of, sort of right away. You know, several publishers were interested. And uh, doing getting the opportunity to do the Marvel thing and to do like exactly what I want, you know, books, the collection's got to be the same size as my hip hop books. Uh, I have to be able to promote it a certain way. I don't want glossy paper on the issues. I want a certain price, you know, page rate. Uh, and when they just say yes to all of it, it's like, you motherfuckers, man. Now I have to do it. Now I have to do it. And, and I don't know about you. I was going to say, man, when they keep saying yes, it's almost like all the horror stories you've heard about Marvel. What are people talking about? <laughs> Sounds like a good deal. Yeah. You know, I have to say, man, like I don't have any, uh, I, I came, I came through it unscathed, man, like mutually good business. I, like they, knowing the deal, the sort of, you know, pimp and hoe situation, like mutually good business. Like I use them for, for what I needed to, they use me for what they needed to. And we, we, we came out. You know, it was a, it was a wash uh, in the end with the with the added benefit of you know being able to pay a bunch of bills over the foreseeable future to indulge in like trying trying out a weird comic. You know, because that's that's sort of I don't have any help, man. Like I I'm not married to anybody. Like I don't have any trust fund or any shit like that, man. Like I gotta I gotta carry all the weight in in my little situation here, man. So it's like. Let me have some profitable books handle that burden so that I can be creative, man, and just and just do my whimsy. Um, and with that in mind, like, let me try a weird one and see if that can float. You know, I also wanted to test the the, uh, the kayfabe waters, man, and see if the audience would show up to, to a weird one also. You know, like whenever, whenever... Uh, I floated the idea of cartoonist kayfabe to you and stuff, dude. It was part, partly something I wanted to build like for Red Room specifically, man, because I knew that I was going to need all the help I could get to just get the word out because, I mean, look at the cover of this comic. You know what I'm saying, dude? It's a weird freaking comic. So, like, I needed some sort of platform to shout from to just like let people know that it exists you know what i'm saying man so so once again thanks thanks for building thanks for joining me on this endeavor dude and building this little platform for us because once again as as the the comics industry 
becomes whatever it becomes around us. You and I have this very solid network that we're building bigger and bigger and bigger. And and this is going to be able to support our weird ideas, you know, like Octobriano was the first one out of the gate and that bore mad fruit. So I had to try one, you know, like, let me do something, you know, off the ranch and see how that works, man. And the kayfabe audience supported this in a giant way. The world is our oyster, homeboy. Yeah, I, I've been impressed time and time again by comic book fans. Um, you know, I often use the illustration of I would do little detail things in books that I've done in the past to entertain myself. And frequently those things that I think no one's going to notice are what everybody brings up at signings. And, uh, you know, it's one more example of uh, comic fans impressed me. Same, same with comic retailers. I feel like we lump them together. And by we, I mean, everybody, the world at large lumps comic retailers together as like comic book shops. But it's really a bunch of entrepreneurs that are sort of doing their own thing. And uh, I give a lot of credit to those guys. I feel like that's a smart group of really independent businessmen. Um, so, you know, if you build it, they'll come, I guess, Ed, is, is, is uh, my takeaway from this experience so far. Um, because I do think there are people that, you know, obviously are passionate about comics. And it's a matter of, like, helping them find the stuff. Jason at Floating World is one of the good ones, too. That's why I sort of ag agreed to even, like, participate in this right here man and once again like the link is in the description click that get the book get the book plate signed from me straight from jason you're helping out a really cool comic shop slash publisher because jason is like one of the most exciting publishers to come up in the past 15 20 years you know and it is that entrepreneurial spirit one of my favorite things about comic shops is checking out new places and you could almost kind of like come up with some good guesses. You could almost profile the proprietor in a certain way because you're kind of seeing how his brain or her brain works with their curation process, with how they lay things out. Uh, you could look at you could look at a comic shop owner's comic shop and imagine what their computer desktop looks like. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? that's hilarious i'll say this man i've never been in two comic book shops that are quite the same you know like they, they, there's certain a lot of variation a lot of room for expression yeah, in man. how comic shop owners run their businesses yeah for sure uh another, another question from uh from i assume the k fabers out there marv asks did pro wrestling have influence donna butcher would make a great one <laughs> you know it it does have have a place in in red room because uh the characters have gimmicks the characters have personas you gotta you gotta sell your work in a way and that's what wrestling is about you know it's 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 a carny subculture uh red room culture is like a super dark kind of carny subculture uh so there's definitely like some pro wrestling tangential spirit in the comic that's that's for sure i don't know if you've ever talked about this uh on kayfabe ed but you've told me stories about like you guys used to go see hardcore wrestling matches oh yeah 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 for sure man like uh this means nothing to anybody but but in north what we call versailles what anybody outside of the town would call versailles uh there there was there was a, a mall that would that would have these these wrestling matches in the back of a candy store, dude. Like literally, when these dudes jump off the top rope, 
they might kick up some acoustic tile from the ceiling. You know what I'm saying? It was it was a low hanging ceiling with all this kind of shit happening. And they would bring in a giant audience. You know, it would be hundreds of people packed into this place and it would bring in enough ticket money to have like Shane Douglas come through or to have New Jack come through. Man, you know he's doing hardcore shit. Dude, like, I mean, these people are bleeding on you and things. So, like, one of the things that they were promoting for a while and that we really, we really uh, responded to was uh, weapons matches and, like, the crowd brings brings the weapons, man. So, <laughs> so for, like, when they would announce it, the one, you know, the previous show, and now you have seven days to... You know, keep your eyes peeled whenever you're you're rolling out with your friends, man, and, and you see people got the trash on the side of the road, and you see some old light tubes or a VCR. You know, we would always end up the the way that that you know that week would transpire. It would it would begin with stealing a shopping cart. You know, like just putting a shopping cart on my homeboy's van. So like that's coming for sure, uh, and then just. Over the the week, man, filling it up with stuff, dude. I see a loose road sign over here. That's going in there. Uh, we found a big ass bamboo stick. All kinds of those light tube things. I had I had nunchucks, <laughs> and uh, and it sounds cooler than it is because like you show up with all your stuff, right? And then they take it. And what happens is they gimmick it, dude. So so they. You know, put like they they put little scores in in into things, man, so that it explodes on impact or, you know, it, it, it looks looks good for the show. We'll say, man. But I remember the very first one when I let them like use my nunchucks. I was like having anxiety attacks. I'm like, yo, I want those back. I thought I was going to get to hold my nunchucks and like hand them off to a dude. You know what I'm saying, man? I'm like, no, I need my nunchucks back. I've had them things for like 10 years. See, that's how it would work if it was a baby face that took the nunchucks. Baby face, take the nunchucks, use them, and then give them back to the fan. Yeah, right. But, you know, this is some hillbilly-ass, western PA, toothless shit, dude. So what I'm saying is there's no baby faces. Like, even even the guys who are supposed to be the baby faces, they would be promoting, like, should I hit this lady in the face? You know, to, like, like you know, some, some diva or, you know, some, like, ring chick or whatever should i smack her in the face and then all the hillbillies are like yeah do it do it so like that's the good guy you know who's who's getting the crowd uh spicy for like uh you know man on woman violence so there you go marv i feel like you're right donna butcher would make a great one <laughs> would fit right into that and you mentioned vcrs as a weapon i gotta hold up this one page because one of the conventions in a lot of comics like Frank Miller's Dark Knight Returns or Howard Shaken American Flag is the TV screen or the monitor. And uh, whenever you did a series of these that showed like old TVs for the footage of old Red Room tapes, man, I love that stuff. Real close, near and dear to my heart on that one. Just a, a detail that stood out to me. Yeah, me too, man. Like you think about like those classic, you know, TV shaped panels in old comics and how anachronistic they are. Like they just don't matter. You just what's the point of doing that now? And then like, what, like, what is it now? What's the modern day version of uh, an iPhone shape panel or something? It doesn't have the gravitas of, uh, of the, of the TV screen, man. No, it's now the, uh, the nine panel grid is, is kind of your perfect iPhone screen shape. Yeah, that's true. Um, Acid Brat asks, 
will we get an original Jim story art for the red room? I actually have one in mind. <laughs> no plans to do it anytime soon. Uh, keeping me busy with these variant covers, but um, have, have people approached you Ed, of like other writers or, or uh, other comic pros approached you about doing red room stories? Cause they, you've kind of created this arena. They, they, they have man uh, it, on both, both, both sets, man, right? Writers and artists. And I, and I do like the idea of there being a universe. You know, we, we did that Mike Mignola shoot, shoot interview, right? And, and he's got he's got the Hellboy universe. There could be a Red Room universe. Like, I'm creating something. I, I the, the main Red Room comic is going to have a lot of fresh ideas. And I could go a million places with all those ideas, you know? And if the right situation comes along... I was actually talking with with my lawyer about how that stuff works to just uh, prevent any no, no game in Todd McFarlane gimmicks happening, you know, and uh, it does sound complicated, but not not un, unattainable. You know, Minula clearly figured that out. But so it's possible, but it's not at the front of my thoughts. Like I still got a bunch of issues to do, you know, I, isn't it weird how these books are kind of our past uh, in a way like by the time that they hit the stands, right? Like this book is. This book is my my COVID lockdown time, essentially. You know, this is my 2020 uh, that's that's being sold right now, and I'm just like 25 pages away from finishing the next collection. Yeah, I thought about that coming into tonight. You know, we're showing off like my my zap cover for the next trigger warnings issue, but I'm actually drawing a cover for the issue after that. It it, it is weird. Like time is so displaced when it comes to comic books and promotion, and I mean. You know, Red Room Collection is the perfect example. I, I'm not sure when you finished that, but I know you were working on it, you know, months ago, uh, adding a lot of the the new art and stuff for that. I remember watching that process. And it's it is funny how these things, you know, your head's in a different place whenever it's time to, like, stand up and talk about this book. It is it is uh, going to be fun to just see how the trajectory plays out because the way these these collections are going to be released, it is the same trajectory as as Hip Hop Family Tree. And already Red Room is more popular than, than Hip Hop Family Tree is, you know, already. And it's only a couple months old, really. Um, but the first volume of Hip Hop came out and then the second volume came out uh, just seven months later. And that's basically how, how this stuff is is going to work. Uh, the, the second book collection comes out, you know, early summer. Yeah, the, uh, the schedule that you're keeping it's terrifying to me. The idea of doing a, a monthly book, you know, working at the rate that you're working at, it's kind of one of those things. It's a bucket list item for me. And I feel like I'm just too old to take that on. <laughs> like watching you do that has been pretty impressive. It's not, uh, it's not really, it's not really monthly, you know, like, like I, uh, spent a lot of time building a queue of issues so that that, so that that was possible. And I'm going to be able to maintain this schedule over the course of the next four uh, issues, you know, like the next the next season of Red Room, the complete trigger warnings scenario. Uh, in order to stay on track, I'm working every single day until you and I go to the freaking tropics uh, to go kick it at Maui Comic Con. And then when I get back, I have to work my butt off to make sure that I stay on that schedule. Um, but once these next four issues lapse, it's going to be a some time before uh, the, the before the last four show up because 
I just caught up, you know, I just caught up. It takes a long time. Uh, this is not, I went into this comic with the idea of like, let me do a monthly comic. But then uh, it was after our Todd McFarlane conversation, really, where he's, he, he really sold me on the idea of monthly comics. And it changed my whole approach where, you know, that first issue is, was two issues. I was going to do like four issues that would encapsulate the story of that one character. And that would have been like the first trade paperback would be the complete arc of that character. And there was just something about that conversation. And it made me think about his career, Todd McFarlane. And that's not what the comics were that he that made him famous. You know, they were these like, you know, satisfying or not satisfying, depending on your tastes. <laughs> right. Uh, 22 page comics. Like, let me do a bunch of those. You know, let me do a bunch of those things. Um, but this is not the comic to do monthly because the way I'm designing it is uh, I'm building new characters in every issue, which means you have to come up with a whole new set of stakes and a whole new set of personalities and reasons for why this person or that person is even involving themselves in this idea of Red Rooms. And that's just a lot of extra work that isn't required when you're just dealing with Peter Parker every 22 pages. So... I'm not counting this as my monthly comment, really. Uh, so I still have to do one, you know? And maybe my next one will be that. Yeah, it's it's nearly impossible, I think, to do a monthly comic, especially if you're doing everything. Yeah. Whenever you tack on that it's not really the same set of characters from issue to issue or, you know, one big story that you've kind of mapped out and now it's a matter of sitting down and drawing it. Um it just gets to be too much, you yeah. know, like, like these are uh, like graphic novellas or something where each issues its own story. Um, it's a lot, it's a lot to put into, uh, it's a lot to build for each issue. Jim, these are Jim Shooter era comics, man. Every issue, somebody's first issue. So I want to build a complete comic for somebody who might just randomly find an issue of, of Red Room, you know, and, and, make them excited enough to want to try to check out another one. You know, that's, that's, that's all I'm asking, man. Give it a shot. If you like it, grab it, grab another one. Yeah. That's something I always love with indie comics. Like I think I'm pretty sure everything I've made is, is standalone. And it's because I used to, I like indie comics and you'd hear about a good series and go to the store and they'd have like issue four and it'd be part of a big story. And it would just be like, that's just not the way to go. Like you need to figure it out. Like if issue four is all that's available, make it pay off, like make it worthwhile. Um, you know, something that you've done in each of these reddish red room issues so far. And um, really like to me, I wish more comic book creators would do it that way. If you're going to make comic books, like make them satisfying, you know, give me my money's worth for, for one issue that I buy to see if I want to buy more. The cool thing about connecting with you, connecting with Tom and just kind of sh share an energy over the past like 20 years. Uh, the, the big takeaway for me is like, we, th it's not just, it's not complaining. Like we identify things that we don't like about this game. And then rather than just like tweet about it and find other like miserable people to like, you know, pile on and, and, and join in that. It's just like make the thing that you want. You know, if you want more comics that are the satisfying, you know, single issues, then maybe make a couple. And if you if you get it to be popular enough, you know, 
you know the followers will come and start doing the same thing you know like it'll start that'll start happening with like the corporate stuff or something so that so that was the goal you know like i'm always playing around with this business because like nothing about the business of comics impresses me so when it came time to like do a little something for marvel my thought was like all right let's have an actual marvel comic done by one person let's see what that looks like and let's get them to break format you know let's get them to break the just that standard you know book format that, that they've just just kept forever so like i did that you know what i'm saying and seeing paying more attention to like monthly comics and things when i was doing the x-men stuff and just realizing like oh these are like they were definitely not satisfying uh in like the 2000s and they're even less so now man because an issue of comics is giving you nothing like <laughs> even if you read a chapter of manga that's like a 17 page thing that's gonna like have a corresponding chapter you know next week those little 17 page things that can be read in five minutes are more satisfying right so it's like let me let me try to make just like a nice fun 22 page comic that you get in you get out very low barrier to entry in terms of like reading experience meaning you don't have to invest you know twelve dollars or twenty dollars in previous issues to like get what i'm trying to sell you on this issue get in get out you want another one go ahead man like this is a no hard sell zone and we're getting we're getting near the end of this hour and uh first I, i'd like to say you know plug floating world comics once again where if you buy red room there you get a signed book plate uh, again great for gifts great to support a, a very good comic book shop especially if there's not a comic shop in your area um so i think those links are probably below this video um, the other thing is, let's hit up. We only have a couple more questions we didn't get to. Let me let me run through them as a speed round. Do it. All right. A couple guys, uh, Chuck and Donnie asks, well, no, James and Donnie ask, any chance of you two coming down to Australia for a con run uh, and any, any dates scheduled for the mainland next year? So a couple of guys interested in where else we're going to comic book conventions besides Hawaii in December. You have anything on your schedule? I mean, I, just some stuff came came by uh, today, but I'm just not thinking about that right now because I have to try to figure out how to wedge in enough time to get this this fourth issue of Trigger Warnings done with this Hawaiian trip that will also turn into a little bit of a vacation. So uh, early on, I, like I'm not thinking about any of that. Australia, dude, I'd go to Australia. How about you? Absolutely. I feel like we were talking to somebody in Australia before uh, before COVID became a thing. So uh, I would love to get to Australia. I've never been there. You know, as far as shows go, we certainly promote them. So, you know, as, as we get uh, as we sign up for any shows or conventions, you know, follow us, follow us on social media, follow us on Cartoonist Kayfabe. Any shows we do, we will let everybody know. It was um, fun. You know, we were we had a real run going before COVID where like, you know, we went to Kansas City or something like we, we went to a lot of play Nova Scotia. Yeah. Strange Adventures in Nova Scotia was a fun trip. Shouts Good food to, there. Shouts to Steve McNiven, man. He took us to get that Don Air that, that I was reading <laughs> yes. about, man. Some 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 Nova Scotia uh, specific grubs, man. Uh, we but we had such a good run right before like COVID and all that stuff happened, and it'll probably pick up again. Uh, well, Jim, what are you working? You want to tell the people what you're working on, man? Uh, so, <laughs> so that like 
whenever the word is out on the streets, man, like we, we could pound the pavement. No? Yeah, no, and I, I can't wait to tell the people what I'm working on, but uh, <laughs> we'll wait just a little bit longer for that. Um, Avanish asks, would you consider giving film or series rights of Red Room to anybody? Squid Game has set the ball rolling. Uh, Tom yeah. Savini did a short recently. Yeah. yeah, that shit was really, really cool, man. Uh, got got hit up by uh, got hit, hit up by that studio. Like, we put the video on. Uh, on the, the the kayfabe channel people can check it out there like it's been linked on fangoria it's it's definitely making the rounds and to see the characters realized like part of designing the red room characters what um was like i want something that just the average person could just slap together because i want to see a million poker faces at the next comic convention that i'm going to i saw a bunch of people with halloween costumes that were like this poker face character seems to be the breakout so far of all the characters I designed, man. And uh, like, I'm definitely not chasing any kind of like Hollywood or Netflix kind of thing. Uh, they got to romance me because I'm not like just signing my stuff away, uh, letting it languish or having it, you know, given to some schmuck to direct or something like it has to be it has to be fly as hell. And the way that they would do that is you basically got to make me fucking rich, man. Because <laughs> if you're gonna <laughs> if you're gonna abuse my property in some way, like you better set me up for a good long time. Uh, man, words words to live by for uh, any aspiring cartoonist out there. Well, it was you know just like I was talking about like the young adult chasers and shit like that. Like you got the Netflix chasers that that are that are in the game and their their co comics are corny because because you know that they don't care about comics. Like they probably had some kind of pitch that was floating around Hollywood that just was getting no legs. They see that this Marvel shit is, is hitting and then stuff like, you know, Grendel and sweet tooth and stuff are like getting, getting uh, adaptations and things. So it's like, that's, that's a part of a gross sub section of our, of our business or industry. So that's the other thing. Like I ain't even chasing that shit. So, you got to kiss my behind deeply uh, in order for this to translate into something else, man, because I'm not, I don't even care about that. Like I want to make Superfly comics. And uh, if I sign off on that stuff, it's just because it'll be nice to have a commercial to sell more comics so that I can keep making comics without worrying about a, a thing. Makes sense to me. Uh, Jacoby asks, did Ed watch Faces of Death videos? <laughs> hey, Jim, did you ever see them things? I did see them, Ed, and they really they really bothered me. <laughs> I definitely saw saw them as well. Like the, the Piscor house growing up was the house that you would come to to see Faces of Death, to see, to play Mortal Kombat, to watch Beavis and Butthead. Like my parents just like they, they just didn't give a shit about any of that stuff, man. It was like a no, like no censorship. And obviously it's like, there is a limit. There's stuff that you can't even like test uh, the folks with or something like that. But like faces of death, like first off that shit is fake, you know, like the stuff that's real is like stuff that you would see on the news. Anyhow, you know, like if you go back and rewatch that stuff, you'll feel real dumb when you're like, hold up. How, how is the camera point of view inside of a bear's mouth? How, how does that happen? I remember one one that bothered me was a guy had been run over by like a commuter train. Oh yeah, yeah. And uh, like the the top part of him was on the platform, and the train was on him. And the deal was, once the train moved, he was gonna die like instantly. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I, like, I remember uh, 
Didn't care for that one. Yeah, that's the... Uh, you get twisted around so much, your bottom half, that it creates the tourniquet that when you unravel it, you're done. You spill out, man. Yeah, no no, thank you. Um, and, and last one I see here, Sean asks, will we ever... Will we ever see a kayfabe creator book swap such as Image did in the early days? Ed doing Street Angel and Jim doing Red Room. I'm ready. I doubt it, but uh, <laughs> I would like to see an Ed Street Angel comic. That that I, I would sign up to read that one. I'll tell you that. So you're saying you're not going to draw any uh, any any gore? You know what? Maybe this could work, Ed. Well, you know what, dude? Like it might not be these projects, but we were talking about some future stuff. You know, like I do a thing, you do a thing. You know, there's a intercompany crossover. But that's a that's that's some year away, two years away. Very true. It does take time to produce these things. But uh, we are here, I guess, at the end, right after nine. So um, once again, you know, hit up the links below to pick up your copy of Red Room with a signed book plate from uh, Floating World Comics or from Fanographics, or from your local comic shop, wherever books are sold, you can find Red Room. And uh, Ed, where else should they look for you? Man, you know that Cartoonist Kayfabe channel is the home base. And you know what, man? We put the clocks back one hour, a day or two ago. So my body feels like it's 10 p.m. And old Uncle Eddie has become a grandpa recently, I feel like, man. And it's almost past my bedtime. <laughs> so we should close things out uh, I want to thank Fanographics for creating the platform I want to thank Jason at Floating World for being one one of the raddest comic shops in the country uh, and having sort of like the progressive mindset to even like want to do this kind of thing you know have these book plates like not every store like hit us up to, to try to work something like that out so that's super fly Jimmy I want to thank you for your partnership on this cartoonist kayfabe thing and helping me build a platform so so that uh you know we could take care of ourselves man uh in a in a world where you know comics comics is a, a dicey game you know and this provides some stability for us uh want to thank the audience out there man and i hope everybody has has a good night yeah and i will just add read more comics yeah man i'm gonna end that stream Super cool.